0: Father God, as we come in your presence, and I pray that for us individually and also as a community, that we would come to you and repent. It's a time of repentance. This is a psalm of repentance. For us to confess our sins to you and to know that you're faithful to forgive us. I pray you bless this teaching as we dive into Psalm 51, into the life of David, that you would teach us that we would walk uh, away afresh, anew, with what you have for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said, "Amen." You can be seated. And children are dismissed to their classes. And David wrote this psalm, or this poem, Psalm fifty-one. It's a famous, it's a famous poem, and he wrote it after he had. Uh, committed the affair with Bathsheba and the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And it's a poem of repentance. It's a poem of forgiveness. And we're going to take some time as a community this morning really diving into this. And it's David is bearing his soul before God. And um, I think sometimes when it comes to um, forgiveness, when it comes to repentance, that there seems to be a limit, we think, when it comes to God— like like we run out of tickets or something. I remember as a young boy going to the Midway, the state fair that's coming up here pretty soon, but as a young boy um, going to my parents, and back in those days they had tickets for the Midway. Now it's all cash or whatever they have, but uh, I'd get tickets and maybe you you can uh, relate to it from a county fair. And my mom and dad would buy a certain amount of tickets, and I'd get a roll of tickets, and that's all I had. It was—that's all I had to to use. And I remember some of the fun games, and and I'm probably dating myself, but like the ring toss. They'd have these two liters of pop, and you throw the ring toss, and it it would cost you X amount of tickets. And, And because my parents didn't really believe in buying much pop when I was growing up, I wanted to win as many of those two liters of Mountain Dew that I could. So that would cost me a certain amount of tickets. And then I, I would do that one uh, softball basket game. You know, you got to kind of spin the softball to land in that basket. And that would cost me a certain amount of tickets. And then I would always want to do the basketball game. And, and, I, and I swear that those rims, you know, had like sort of shocks to them or something. Because like, you had to make a perfect shot, right, to, to actually win a prize. And I, I desperately wanted like just one of those big stuffed whatever, Mickey Mouse or whatever animals. And I never got those. And I know you can feel sorry for me in that. But, uh, you know, and then I would play a couple other games, like the one, the rifle game where it was like a squirt gun deal, and you shoot the ducks as they're going by, which is always good for a person's character. And, and then at some point, though, I'd run out of my tickets. I'd have no tickets left, and I'd go to my parents, and I would say, Mom, Dad, I, I need some more tickets. And they would say, that, that's it. I think in a similar way, when it, got, it comes to God's forgiveness, I, I think, you know, in a way, in analogy, we think the same way that there's a sort of tickets of forgiveness. Maybe you lied to your spouse, and it was a big lie. Maybe that costed you six tickets. It was a big lie. And you were getting in a lot of trouble for that. And You confessed to her, you confessed what happened, but that cost you six tickets, and you went to God and asked for forgiveness for that. And then maybe, maybe you had jealousy towards a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law. And that jealousy was so deep-seated that it actually would cause you, when you talked about them, to, to slander them and, and really to malign the reputation. And maybe you came to God, and perhaps on that one, it cost you four tickets. And then maybe recently you were driving along in traffic, and with construction these days, I mean, it's really trying our patience, right? It's just like construction's everywhere. And maybe a car that wasn't supposed to merge, merge in front of you, and you gave him a, a certain kind of gesture, and, and normally that would have cost you four tickets, but it was only two tickets because the car was from Canada. And so you had two tickets taken away, and you asked for forgiveness and got understood. And then maybe the other two tickets was something else. Maybe it was a Friday night, you had too much to drink. And you came to God and you asked for forgiveness on that. And then pretty soon you have no tickets left. And we think God operates that same way, that that we ask for forgiveness. We come to to a time of repentance and there's no tickets left. And yet David shows us in Psalm 51 um, a different perspective when it comes to repentance, when it comes to forgiveness. And it's just a beautiful psalm. And we've been diving into this series on David and learning about his life and asking the question, what is it about David that is so appealing to us? What is it about David and through David's life that God is teaching us? Because it, it seems like when, when it comes to David, he's called a man after God's own heart, and yet we, we can't take our eye off of him in terms of his life, in terms of the kind of person he was. And last week we showed you a video, just a nice animation on David's life, and we're going to show that right now. A series looking at the life of David for the last number of weeks, and we've been asking that question what is it about David? And we began the series, if you remember, uh, by, by answering that question partly by it's his humble beginnings, as you saw in the video, that he's a shepherd, he's with the sheep, he's the last of his name, he's the youngest boy in his family, and, and it, it was so upside down, illogical, but he was, he was uh, appointed king. And yet, something like that it would normally go to the eldest son. But he's the last of his name, and he's, he's given king, and he's a shepherd. He's got these humble beginnings. And we're compelled to that. We're compelled also, as we saw in the video, of his bravery and his courage on the battlefield against Goliath and against different armies. That draws us to him. And then also, we looked at the la- a couple weeks ago, the fact that David is human. He has these uh, amazing characteristics and talents and gifts, yet at the same time, he's very human. He makes mistakes. He has this affair with Bathsheba and everything just implodes, and we can kind of relate in some degree to his humanness. And as we're going to find out this morning that what we can learn from David and what we're drawn to David is that his heart, it's a heart of repentance. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 51. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Bibles and the pews in front of you. Otherwise, you can pull up your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android, or whatever device you have. And we're going to read through Psalm 51. And I'm going to be reading through and um, looking at the NLT, the New Living Translation version. And I want to begin with Psalm 51, even though we read part of it. Looking at verses 1 through 3. Let me read this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion... Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from sin. For I recognize my rebellion. I recognize. I'm conscious of my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. These are deep emotions from David. This is not just something that's sort of just kind of whatever. It it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I think one of the first things that we learn about repentance and about this psalm and what David is trying to teach us and what God teaches us through David is that repentance means change. It's a a shift. It's not David sort of glossing over, um, you know, these sins. and It's not a big deal. It means change. In your teaching notes, if you want to fill in the blank and follow along with me, it means change. There's a change in attitude. There's a change in perspective. He recognizes That this is wrong. That this isn't something, it's a small deal at all. It's a big deal. and It haunts me day and night, he writes. It's a change in heart. It's a change in attitude. It's a change in perspective. That's what repentance means. He's not comfortable with it. And through his repentance, David shares what he did was wrong. He's not comfortable with the state of affairs in his life. I recognize my rebellion against you, God. You alone have I sinned. This is a shift. It's a change in David's life. And that's what repentance brings about. That's what it means. It reminds me of a story of a, um, actually an attorney in uh, Louisiana, Marty Stroud. He is a lead prosecutor in a case in December of 1984. And it was the first degree murder trial of a man named Glenn Ford. And Glenn Ford was charged with first-degree murder of a jeweler in town. And uh, Ford spent 30 years in prison because uh, Stroud, Marty Stroud, the lead prosecutor, won the case. And Ford was actually, he was sentenced to death. But during the 30 years of his time in prison, just last year in 2014, there was new evidence admitted in the case that showed that Ford was innocent. And then there's this past March. That prosecutor, Marty Stroud, now 30 years later, 63 years old, wrote this in an open letter in a newspaper. He writes this, In 1984, I was 33 years old. I was arrogant, judgmental, full of narcissism, and very full of myself. I was not interested in justice at all. I was only interested in winning the case. As a result, Mr. Forrest spent 30 years of his life in a small, dingy cell. Lighting was poor. Heating and cooling were an almost non-existent. Food bordered on the uneatable. And after the death verdict in 1984, Stroud writes, I went out with others and celebrated with a few rounds of drinks. That's sick. I had been entrusted with the duty to seek the death of a fellow human being. A very solemn task that certainly did not warrant any celebration. In my rebuttal arguments during the penalty phase of the trial, I mocked Mr. Ford as he sat there, writes Stroud, that this man wanted to stay alive so that he, he could be given the opportunity to prove his innocence. How totally wrong I was. I apologize to Glenn Ford for all the misery I caused him and his family. I apologize to the victim's family for giving them the false hope of some closure. I apologize to the members of the jury for not having all the story that should have been disclosed to them. I apologize to the court in not having been more diligent in my duty. When was the last time you saw an attorney be that honest? It's amazing words by this lead prosecutor. He came clean. No justification. He didn't, he didn't blame it on some variable. He owned it. He said, "This was my fault. He came clean. And that's what repentance does. It, 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 it enters us. It unleashes a change in our lives. It's, it's, it's a change not in our spouse. It's not a change in our jobs. It's not a change in where we live. It's a change in the most important location. It's a change in you. A change in your attitude. A change in your perspective. And when you look at the original language of the Bible, which is the Hebrew in the Old Testament and the Greek in the New Testament, and when you look up the word repentance— What it really means is twofold. It means coming clean before God with genuine emotion. It means a change in heart. And also it's a change in behavior. So repentance um, encompasses both of those. And we need help with that change in behavior, right? We need help with that. It's not like after you you know, uh, perhaps reiterate Psalm 51 and you ask for forgiveness and you repent of your sins, that everything is going to be perfect after that. If you're a lot like me, you find yourself actually singing on, singing on the same stuff. And God understands that. And David did as well. Notice in verse 5 in Psalm 51, what, what does David say? For I was born a sinner. I'm a flawed individual. This is King David writing this. I'm a flawed individual. I sin. I was born a sinner. In other words, he's saying, I need help. And God knows this. And he carries out change in our lives. And he does that through a couple different ways because he doesn't expect you and I, once after repentance, to all of a sudden live the perfect magical life. He gives us the gift, first of all, of the Holy Spirit. If you're a person who has said yes to Jesus Christ, as the Lord and Savior of your life, you are given this amazing, magnificent gift called the Holy Spirit. It's not figurative language. It's not fairy tale language. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside you, inside your body, to lead you, to guide you, to give you discernment so that you can make a change in your behavior. And the Holy Spirit walks with us and guides us. If you want to read further on this, Galatians chapter 5, I think is one of the best chapters on the Holy Spirit and living in life and walking with the Holy Spirit. So we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also God gives us the gift of community. And as we come together here on these Sunday mornings, it reminds us is that we're in this together. That the Christian life is not an individual pursuit. It's that we come together as a community, being with each other. And just sometimes having the presence of other people around us, surrounding us, makes a big difference. Do you have a few individuals in your life who are walking alongside you, who are encouraging you, who are praying for you, who are just championing you, who are advocating for you? And even when you make mistakes, even when you fall down, you know those few friends are going to be walking with you. A good friend of mine um, over the past year has had the struggle uh, with his um, with his smartphone is that at night he would go to different X-rated websites and pretty soon it was almost like every single night he would go to these websites and spend time on that so instead of getting sleep like he should have been he was losing sleep and he'd wake up with regret and guilt and feel so shameful and then he would he would ask for forgiveness from God but yet still there is this this tinge of guilt and shame in his life and the same thing would happen the next night and it became this vicious cycle over and over and over. And he reached out to a few really good friends in his life. He asked them, Would you be accountability, account, accountability partners for me? He downloaded this, this uh, program from Triple X Church. And, and if you're interested in this, talk to me some more about this because it's, it's a great program. He downloaded the software on his phone and his iPad that blocks certain sites, but also it sends a monthly report. To all the different websites he goes to. He has that sent to these three accountability partners because he's tired of being defeated by this temptation. We need help. A change in behavior, a change in our life doesn't happen automatically. We need the gift of the Holy Spirit, but we also need the gift of community. Well, repentance means... Uh, change, but also repentance means and it enables God's forgiveness in our lives. That's the next fill in the blank. Repentance enables God's forgiveness. Let's take a look at verses 7 through 10 in Psalm 51. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal or steadfast spirit within me. Repentance enables God's forgiveness. Because when we don't repent of sin, the presence of sin holds us back from really being involved in what God wants to do. It circumvents what God is trying to carry out in our lives. And when we don't repent of our sin, instead we have these feelings of guilt and shame and regret, and they creep up in our lives. And it affects us. There's this writer I, I follow, and he's got this very interesting blog, and he's an avid outdoorsman. And he uh, wrote about when this love for uh, fishing and hunting began when he was a kid. And he ta- talks about this story, recalls the story of a farmer who lived not too far from uh, where he lived. And this farmer had this known pond or small lake, and it was full of fish. Every year he would stock it full of fish. And this writer says, as a young boy, he was so tempted, he wanted to go over there. But there's all these big signs, black and white, no trespassing. Even like, beware of the dog, even though the farmer didn't have dog, he had cats. But it didn't matter. you would have all these signs, these ominous black and white signs. And, and this writer says as a kid, he was kind of scared of that, but he loved fishing so much and he knew that that, that small lake or that pond was full of fish. So one time he sneaked over there with his fishing pole and he started fishing. And all of a sudden, the farmer came storming out of the front door of his house and, and chased after the young boy. And the young boy ran. I think he left behind his fishing pole and, and he was running so fast, he fell down, he skinned his knee and he got home. And he told his mom what happened. He came clean. And as she was Cleaning up his wound and putting bandage on it. She said, you know, you're going to have to go back there and apologize. You're going to ask for forgiveness from the farmer because what you did was wrong. So this little boy went back to the farmer and apologized. And he said, I'm so sorry. You know, you have these signs here and I should have obeyed that and I asked for forgiveness. And the farmer invited him to sit on the front stoop of his farmhouse. And the writer says they had this, this wonderful conversation. This farmer was asking him questions. You know, what is it about fishing you like? What do you like about the outdoors? And then the, the young kid somehow mustered up the courage just to ask the question, can, can I fish here? Can I come back and, and, and fish your small lake? And the farmer didn't even hesitate. Sure, of course you can. All you had to do was ask. In many ways, that's what it is with God's forgiveness. Some of us hold on to sin. We hold on to these things. And, and God says to us, all you have to do is ask. There's no boundary to God's forgiveness. There's no limit of tickets of forgiveness. It's it's not like you go through 14 tickets, you have none left, and 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 now you're on your own. You know? There's... God is saying to us, there is no limit to our forgiveness. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. God's forgiveness is ever-expanding. I love how David writes in, in Psalm, Psalm 103, he writes this, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, you've got to get this. The Hebrew concept around this, this verse here, by the way, it, it's not figurative. What David is really saying in, in, the, in the Hebrew mind is that our sins are forgiven to a point where God himself can't find them. He forgets them. As far as the east is from the west, he forgets them. He forgives and he forgets. That's so important for us to understand that. And, and when it comes to forgiveness, it's not like you and I have to come and beg before God and say, God, God, please, please, pretty please, with sugar on top, please forgive me. We don't have to do that. We don't have to bargain with God. God, if you forgive me, then I'll do these kind of things. I'll never do it again. And we don't have to bribe God. We don't have to bribe him. And sometimes we do this, don't we? God, if you forgive me, and we bribe him in some way, if you forgive me, I promise to listen to Pastor Craig's sermons every single week. And write him really, really, really nice emails. Yeah, we don't, have to, we don't have to bribe or bargain. All you have to do is ask. And some of us, so much, if our life is going this way, a lot of us, if we were to be honest, are living so much in the past because each day we remember those sins. And we're living a life, even though we're in the present, we're anchored in the past because of sins. And God says to you and I this morning through Psalm 51, Why do you remember that? I don't. Will you and I take the courageous step this morning with the encouragement and the writings of David to actually move on? That our sins are taken as far as the east is from the west, where God Himself can't even find it. They're forgiven and they're forgotten. It's remarkable. I was listening to a psychologist on the radio recently. and A guy had called in and he talked about just how he poured his heart out and, and also he, that he, feel guil- he felt guilty for all the things he had done wrong. And he asked the psychologist, how can I get rid, r- get rid of my guilt? And the psycho- psychologist said, you can't. You have to learn to live with it. And I almost wanted to shout into the radio, give me that guy's number. Wait a minute. He doesn't have to go through life with, filled with guilt. Thanks so much of us in our lives, we, we live that way because through Jesus Christ, in the giving of his, of his life, God forgives us when we ask. And he tells us over and over through the cross. As you look at the cross, it's God's voice saying over and over, why do you remember that? Why are you living your life in the past? Why do you remember that? I don't. So repentance means change. Repentance enables God's forgiveness. And then lastly, the fill in the blank, repentance moves us forward. This is so important for us. It moves us forward. The Hebrew word for this is teshuva. Repentance contained not only um, a sorrow and forgive, forgiveness of God, but the other side of it, and we see it in David's words, is a Joy. A joy of moving forward. Teshuvah was this this Hebrew concept of moving forward because the idea was they could start new again. The slate was clean. They could move forward with their life. It was actually a celebration. Repentance was a celebration. God forgiving us. And and David writes this in Psalm 51, verses 13 through 15. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who says, Then I will joyfully sing... Of your forgiveness. And he really means that. Once the sin is taken away, I will sing of your forgiveness with joy. There'll be joy in my life. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Repentance moves us forward. Repentance reminds us that God is for us. God is for me. He's for you. And He wants us to move forward with our lives. You were created by God so that you could. Um, be loved and be blessed by God, but also that you can be a blessing in this world. You have a role to play. It's not simply where you sin and ask for forgiveness and and that's kind of it. It moves beyond that. It moves you forward. It moves you to be a player in the game of life. And that's God's purposes for you. It's not just about a change in heart and spirit. It's not just about God forgiving you, although those those are very important. It moves you forward to be an active player in in this life and what God wants to do. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter chapter 2, this wonderful chapter on forgiveness and the transformation that occurs. Paul outlines the incredible work The substantial work of forgiveness and mercy from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, and then verse 10. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. For we are God's masterpiece. In verse 10, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. You may want to underline this this word, so. It's the culmination. It's the culmination of the mercy. It's the culmination of the forgiveness. So, 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 we can do good things he planned for us long ago. That's the point. It's, it's, it's not to be a spectator. It's not to be on the sidelines. Repentance moves us forward to do the good things that he planned for us long ago. It's important for us. I remember um, just a couple weeks ago where I ran the half marathon in, in downtown St. Paul. And just an incredible experience and ran this for World Vision and raising uh, money for clean water for children in Africa and as we were at the, the starting line, I noticed this, this peculiar guy off to my right, and he had this really cool running outfit, and I didn't have a cool out, running outfit. It was just really basic with my basketball shorts and the, you know, the t-shirt. But he had this really cool running outfit. He had the high socks and everything. And then also he had a mohawk with really long hair. It was like a mane. It's just a mane of hair. I thought, man, I haven't seen a mohawk in a long time. And, and as we were running, I saw it kind of like mile three, this... Mohawk dude was kind of struggling. And he was running, and then he'd stop. And then he'd sprint up to the the pack I was a part of and and run with us, and then he would stop. And then it looked like he was limping. And I was thinking, man, there's 10 more miles to go, buddy. Got a long ways to go. But I noticed, fast forward to to, uh, mile 11, Mohawk dude caught up, and he was running in his socks. And somehow his shoes were causing him problems, and he refused to allow the shoes to hold him back. He got back in the race. He got back in the race, and he, ap- he actually finished the race. And in many ways, when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about repentance. What it does, it moves us forward, and it gets us, it gets us back in the race. And maybe you're here this morning, and you need that in your life. An invitation to get back in the race. I can't think of a better way for you to kind of show that you're back in the race than baptism. Next Sunday, August 23rd, we're going to have the opportunity to have baptism by immersion. And we're going to have a portable pool out on the lawn. And right after the service, we're going to have, as churches always do, you've got to have a potluck, right? I grew up Swedish, we had potlucks all the time. Um, but out in the lawn, we're going to have this portable pool, and we already have several people that are going to be baptized by immersion because what they want to do, they want to say they're back in the race. They're moving forward with their life. And just some incredible stories. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking about that, that this is an opportunity for you because baptism by immersion is different from an infant baptism. Baptism by immersion is is where you consciously say that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I seek to live in the way of Jesus. And I want to tell the world that I'm a follower of Christ by being baptized. Because when we be baptized by immersion, I take a person and and, and as they stand there, it's it's the symbolism of a person being identified with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, does that make sense? Maybe to get to be more visual. I'm going to have Gabe, you want to come up here for a second? This is totally spontaneous. I didn't ask Gabe ahead of time. So I may owe Gabe like a DQ gift card or something. If you want to stand right here. So we do a baptism by immersion. They stand there and they're going public with their faith. And and our candidates will share just a really brief testimony that they're a follower of Jesus. But then when we do the baptism, as Gabe stands here in the waters, and you kind of hold my arm right here. And what it is, is, is he's being uh, identified with Christ's life, and then death, under the water, and then resurrection. Thanks, Gabe. Give him a hand. Good job, buddy. We go a little deeper, but I don't want Gabe to fall down. But um, it's a beautiful symbolism being identified with Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you want to move forward. You want to you wanna show that you're a player. You're back in the race again. If you're interested in baptism, please take your communication card. Check something on there or just write on there and I would love to follow up with you. It's not too late. In fact, perhaps you want to take some time to pray about it. And, and even if it's Sunday morning, next next Sunday morning, it's not too late. Too late to, to jump in and be baptized. And perhaps you're here, though, you've been baptized as an infant. It doesn't invalidate your infant baptism. It's just different. It doesn't mean your baptism was not real when you were a baby. It, it doesn't mean that, that you're, you're being rebaptized. baptized Baptism by immersion is different. It's where you consciously, either as a student or as, or as an adult, you're saying to the world and the public, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm following it in his way because when Jesus was 30 years old, he went to the Jordan River, it says in Matthew chapter 3, and he was baptized by John the Baptist. It's a great way for you to go public and say, I am moving forward with my life by being baptized. Psalm 51 teaches us repentance means change. Repentance enables God's forgiveness, and repentance moves us forward. Let's pray. Thank God that there is no limit to the tickets of forgiveness. And as we consider that for a moment, it's absolutely staggering, God, is that you have an endless supply of tickets of forgiveness. We never run out. And for some of us that are here this morning that fall into the same sin again and again and we ask for forgiveness and and we feel like there's a limit that after a while you're just like standing in heaven with your arms folded, shaking your head and saying there's no tickets left And, and we're reminded again of your grace and your mercy. There is nothing like this in reality, in life, in this world. And God, it brings us to our knees and with hearts of thankfulness. We just say to you, we love you. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the promise of life with you. And God, some of us are are so down and so disgusted with our lives and our past. Help us to let go of that past, to remember your words. Why do you remember that? I don't. And all praise and all glory goes to you, God, our King. In your name we pray, everybody said, amen.